what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. <laughs> Mom was pretty wild. She, <laughs> she kind of like did and said whatever she wanted. Um, she's very, obviously very foreign. Haven't really conformed to the Western life, really. In some ways have, but mainly... Um, Mom was, uh, yeah, she was just kind of like, like the cl- like the classic crazy Asian lady, <laughs> but at the same time she, um, like, she really cared about her family. Like, I could always tell that all she wanted was for us to um, be happy and healthy. Hey, I'm AC Rowe. This is the Doc Project. And that guy gushing about his mom is Michael. My name's Michael Arunlisi. I am Julie's older brother and Mario's younger brother. And this is Mario. He's the eldest. I'm Mario Arunlisi, and I'm Julie's older brother. Julie is the youngest. She's a CBC journalist. But despite her being, yeah, crazy and like saying and doing whatever she wanted to do, I think she was really stubborn too. She was really, really strong and like did whatever for her kids. Julie's parents, Van and Boonlap Arunlasi, were born and grew up in Laos. If you're not from there and you don't know anybody from there, then there's a good chance you do not know a ton about Laos. Even Julie doesn't know a lot about the country or the culture. And that's something she's come to struggle with. Some basic details. Laos is little and landlocked. It's bordered by Thailand on one side and Vietnam on the other. The Laotian Canadian population is pretty small. More than half is made up of people who came here when they were escaping the Laotian Civil War in the 70s. And more came later, escaping what the country had become in the years after the war. Among them, Julie's dad and her mom. She's really hardworking. Like she's, She did everything she could you know, just to help out the family, even though, like, all the odds are stacked against her, you know? Um, yeah, I definitely recognize that. This all seems normal enough, right? Siblings sitting around, talking about their mom. But what you just heard, that was not normal for Julie and her brothers. That was the beginning of a conversation that Julie has been waiting to have for three years years. Julie will take it from here. This is my dad. He's telling me about how he met my mom. My dad lived in Vientiane, the capital of Laos, and my mom lived on a farm outside of the city. 
He says my mom came into the city to visit her cousins who lived near him, but she ended up hanging out with him instead. Four months. My parents got married after they'd only been dating for four months. My dad didn't have time to visit my mom often since she lived far from the city, and she didn't have a car. So my dad stayed over at her family's house a lot, and her parents weren't big fans of that. So he asked her if she wanted to marry him, and she said, okay, let's get married. Even before my parents got married, my dad says he already knew he was going to leave Laos. He wasn't happy living there under the communist regime. Once they were married, my parents decided to escape the country together. My dad says he and my mom swam across the Mekong River into Thailand in the middle of the night. The river is about a kilometer and a half wide. It was summer, and the water was deep and rough. It took hours to get across. Sometimes my dad said he had to drag my mother along when she got tired. This was in 1984. My dad says there were around a million people who left at that time. If they had stayed in Laos, they didn't know if they were going to live or die. My parents made it across the Mekong River and into Thailand, where they stayed at a refugee camp for around two years. This is the first time I've ever heard this story. If it seems insane that I didn't know any of this about my dad, it's not. My family, we don't really talk. But I'll get to that. My dad sent a letter to his sister in Montreal. She had already immigrated to Canada from Laos. She and her husband were able to sponsor my parents with the help of the UN. In February of 1987, my parents arrived in Montreal, but they didn't stay there. Eventually, they moved to a small town in southwestern Ontario called Exeter, just outside of London. I've always wondered why my parents chose a town like Exeter, after everything they've been through and where they've come from. My dad says they chose it because it had everything they needed, a high school, banks, and it was close to my parents' work. They got jobs as laborers in a vegetable packing factory there. He says he just wanted my brothers and me to have a simple life. He didn't want us ever to experience what they had to experience. Uh, Do you have any special memories that come to mind? Just like walking in the park and like, you know, just uh, checking out all these things. Just let me like, you know, do whatever, really. Not controlling anything. That's kind of what else I liked about her as well. You know, she didn't really like push anything on us as well. Just nice memories like that, like going on trips to like Niagara Falls and things like things that as a family, we don't really get to experience a lot of like going away to places and stuff like that. So, yeah, those those moments, uh, they really stand out, especially. I'm sitting in the basement of my brother Mario's house. It's me, Mario and Michael. We all left Exeter after high school. Now we only live a few hours apart, them in London, Ontario, and me in Toronto. But I don't get to see them very often. 
And when I do, we don't usually talk. Not really talk. Not about mom. I keep thinking they won't want to talk about her and that they won't answer my questions. But they do. I remember her always trying to like make sure my friends were also good. Like if we came over and like we were hanging out and, you know, being silly or whatever, she'd still like ask us if we were hungry, you know, like trying to like give my friends food and stuff like that. Um, so that was nice. Mom would always cook like traditional Lao food and like it was obviously, it was really good and I ate it all the time. Um, I know that you did too. And that was probably like the, probably the closest that we could relate to each other is through food and our love of the same kind of food. Um, I really like that part about uh, the Lao culture. Growing up and looking back, it made me um, wish that I was able to connect with her more. Um, but I, I just know that the cultural and the language barrier, like having a language barrier with your own parent, like that was just, that was just difficult. And it was difficult to just try to have like a, I don't know, like a close relationship. Like we were close in our own ways, but I know that if, if we knew more about like Lao culture um, or if we like were more fluent in Lao, then like we, we would have been, you know, closer. Um, I wish we could have, like bonded more but um just having those barriers there there wasn't really much you could do and the, um, being like growing up around in exeter you know like around mainly a bunch of other white kids uh like going over to their house and stuff you know i learned a lot more about the canadian culture and then i obviously would bring that home and it, mom and dad <laughs> was not they were not about that like they they wouldn't really understand it so that that also put me in like a weird space um i'm sure like you and mario too we grew up in like a really canadian society and yeah just throughout the years just learning things about like the lao culture just like all the little things that she can like try to tell us about how it what it was like in laos and and what the you know like the living conditions were and stuff like that and she did the best that she could and uh yeah, like honestly, like she was, uh, she was a really kind and really sweet person. You know, like she was, just, she was just the best mom that she could be. Growing up, there was stuff I couldn't talk to my mom about. Like I could never talk to her about romantic relationships. For a start, I wasn't even allowed to have any. But I didn't know the words in Lao for boyfriend or girlfriend. It was an extra barrier between us. I know enough Laotian to translate and have a conversation, but it's not great. I'd say I'm half fluent, enough to chat, but not to talk. Even now, finding the right words to ask my dad about life in Laos is tricky for me. My brothers and I, we communicate more easily, since we all grew up speaking English. And this conversation we're having about our mom, it might sound normal, just reminiscing, right? But it's not. My mom died three years ago. My brothers and I, we have never once spoken about it. Not about the events, not about our memories, nothing. And that's why I'm here, to change that, to talk for the first time.
I was working actually. I was up in Listowel doing a delivery run for my job, and Dad called me, and like it was really weird because, like, I've never experienced like him showing like like him crying or showing emotions like that. It's just in our family, it just uh, you don't see that um, very often, like display of emotions. And then I got a call, like maybe an hour after, and I was still working at the time. And it was from the doctors, and this is when I knew it was really serious because, like, it was him asking me, like, what they should do. Like, they should they had to operate like right then and there. I was like, oh my god, like, I don't know. It was just so confusing at the time. So I was at my first co-op. And it was like I remember it was orientation week. You know, I hadn't heard from mom and dad for a little bit, and then I just got like a random text and phone call from Mario, and he was just saying that mom had an accident and they were at the hospital. And he just asked me if I could come back home. And yeah, so when when I got that news, it was uh, it was like a huge curveball. I am frozen, still listening to this. I'd never known how my brothers heard about what happened, and the truth is, part of me is jealous. They heard from our dad and each other, but they didn't tell me. I wish they had. I can't help feeling that it would have made it easier, that I wouldn't have felt quite so alone. Instead, it was actually Mario's ex, Caitlin, who broke the news to me. Caitlin messaged me. Just out of nowhere, being like, I think she said, "Are you okay?" or something like that. I was in school, and uh, I had no idea what she was talking about. So I thought that she was just like asking me how I am. So I said, "Yeah, I'm good. How are you?" And then, uh, and then she was like, "Oh, I just wanted to to check up because of your mom." And then that's when I was like, "Oh, something happened." And then yeah, then I called dad, and he couldn't really tell me anything. And then I think I messaged Mario. And that's how I found out. But yeah, I think I was the last to the last to know. Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking for It. Asking for It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack. And it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. Before you born, can. Before he man lom, muchak bo. Before muchak he kaka four men, four men man land by earn. That's my dad again. He says, "I was at work when I was called over to your mom's department." That's when I saw her. She had fallen and was unconscious. His supervisor called the ambulance, and my dad says it took about 15 to 20 minutes for the ambulance to arrive. Paramedics started asking him questions about my mom, questions about her health, before taking her to the Exeter Hospital. But the Exeter Hospital couldn't take care of her, so she was sent off to a hospital in London. While he followed behind in his car, he says he didn't know what was happening, besides doctors saying they were going to try and save her. 
but he didn't understand exactly what they were going to do. Partly because the doctors weren't even sure yet, but also because my dad's English isn't very good. So Mario, as the oldest, was called in. He, they, the doctor explained it like he, he didn't understand this, like the situation and what's going on. So basically, I was the one that had to like call the shots. Like they would come and ask me, like tell me this, the news instead of telling dad. And yeah, like it was just really crazy. She was at work and all of a sudden she passed out, like she blacked out. Uh, not sure why. I don't think anyone was there or someone was there but wasn't there fast enough to catch her fall and she smashed the back of her head which led to her, you know, like the bleeding in the brain and everything like that. I get a call from dad, he's crying and it was this, uh, I don't know, I guess like heart-wrenching, I guess, because, you know, like I didn't understand what was actually happening because dad didn't even know what was happening. Mario had to kind of step up and lead us through everything because that was just kind of how it had to happen. He was the older brother and I think it just made sense that he would help dad make decisions and obviously make decisions for everybody else if he needed to. Um, I talked to Mary a lot about this. He was the one who had to make all the choices and who had to translate everything and just do like all the kind of like administrative work that went into uh, mom dying. It was definitely different for us than it would be for like other people who had parents who were born and raised here. Like growing up, like you, me, and Mario, like we definitely had to, you know, translate things for them, fill out paperwork for them, and speaking to people over the phone for them. And especially when, when mom passed away. I remember when the doctors were saying like there was a tumor, they found a tumor in her brain when they uh, they had to repair it, they were trying to repair it. Yeah, she had a, an aneurysm. Like there was like, an, like the tumor was like the enlarged blood vessel and nobody knew that she had it because like we never went to the hospital. And then so one day it burst because it was bound to happen. And, and yeah, that's why she passed out. Probably one of the hardest things I had, had to do was tell dad that, that they couldn't do anything for mom. Basically telling him that like that, that was it, you know. Like, either we can try to keep her in life support, but um, basically the doctor said there was uh, nothing else that they can do due to the damage done to her brain. And, like, you know, my Laotian isn't the greatest, so trying to tell them that is, like, it was just really difficult, you know. No one wants to see their mom, like, die, have to, like, you know, be told that right to your face. Like, as the child, usually you tell, like, the spouse, right? But, uh, yeah, like... You know, I was the one that had to take all that and and then tell dad that. I feel like we're all offering up our little pieces to fill out each other's puzzles. And that's why I'm here, to talk, but also to find out why we haven't. Have you noticed that we haven't, not just you and me, but like all of us, we haven't talked about mom's death, really? 
Um, yeah, I, it's kind of like, I don't know, just the way our family has been from the beginning. Like, we don't really talk about, I don't really get into that kind of personal, emotional stuff. I don't know, it's probably just from the way we were raised, I guess. Like, mom and dad were never really into talking too much about that. Mainly dad, because I think he's like, you know, he has like that kind of tough like exterior kind of thing going on so he doesn't like to get into that kind of emotional part of himself <laughs> so that's probably why he uh, doesn't really talk about it that's probably why we don't really talk to each other about it because because we weren't really raised to and we weren't really like ever in an environment where we saw like mom and dad do that so i guess it's kind of just like ingrained in us to not really talk about those kinds of things yeah i think that's pretty much it and i think it's not just our family either it's like pretty common with um families where their parents are you know from like a different country and sometimes in that country like i don't know it's just they don't really um show that part of their uh, emotions and affections toward each other like it doesn't mean they care less about us or each other but it's just i think it's just a part of the culture yeah i think it is a part of our culture too i think it's just in our blood you know <laughs> we just pull through we just got to keep going keep pushing forward even though this is you know such a huge um, unfortunate thing that happened to us in our family that's the thing about Asian families, like Laotian families, Vietnamese families, you know, all, like, we're just like, I guess you could say we're just kind of like just cold like that, you know? <laughs> like we just don't let our emotions kind of like, um, like pour out as much as you could, as you, as you would say. I was curious, like these past three years about how you and Michael handled everything like on your own. Yeah, I just t I talked to Kaylin about it, just you know, just because she's like she's my closest, like the bestest friend that I have. Like, I think it's good that you should definitely talk to each other about these kind of things, like how we are, because it definitely it it just it just it brings a little bit more closure than you think, you know, when if you don't talk about it. My dad says there's no need to discuss why my mom died because we all saw and knew exactly what happened. He says she died of natural causes on her own, and the doctors already discussed it with us when it happened. I asked my dad about how he came to accept my mom's death if he never spoke about it deeply with anybody. He says it made him angry when people would ask him about this topic. He says he's getting mad that I keep asking him about it because he doesn't want to relive what happened. Eventually, he becomes upset and won't answer my question. So I have to stop recording. But now that we're talking about my mom, I just want to keep going. So I turn back to my brothers. I know like in, in Lao culture, mo when mom was alive, she would always talk about people that she knew who died coming, like her parents or something, 
coming back to her in dreams and telling her what like the 649 numbers are going to be <laughs> and apparently that was like a common thing within like the Lao community that like dead parents come back in your dream and like t- tell you what the lottery is, is going to be <laughs> while we're talking about it my brothers and i discover that we all share a similar experience of dreaming about our mom in the weeks that followed her death I remember waking up at five in the morning, getting ready for work. At least I thought I was awake, getting up, ready for work. I go grab a bottle of water, and then you know how you put your head into the fridge, right, to go grab something in the back. You you pull out, and then like, mom was like right there, right beside me, and she was saying, I forget what she was saying, but it was in Laotian, like kind of bickering, I guess you could say a little bit, <laughs> like how she usually does, and then I wake up. That was a dream. So I don't know, like, I don't know if she's like trying to communicate with me, like, like spiritual, like you know, subconsciously or something, like trying to, trying to say something. I don't know. When she initially passed away, I would have dreams of still being like with her, like she would just be around. And we, would, you know, it would just be a super random dream. It would have no connection with her passing away or anything. I would just be there and she would also be there, which is really weird. I remember like in my dreams when I saw her there, it would like startle me because like she was dead. So I was like, oh, like, why are you here? But then when I saw her in my dream, that is when I realized that I was dreaming. And then because of that, I didn't want to stop dreaming because like I wanted to talk to her and stuff. So... I remember the first time I, I just started panicking in my dream and then like not wanting to wake up but then that like made me wake up and then I remember like the other time she showed up in the dream um, I just I remembered how I panicked last time so that time I, I just like made myself calm down and then I was able to like talk to her. The hardest thing to do without her. So I always had in my mind, like, you know, I want to, like, do certain things for mom when I have enough, you know, to be able to do that for her and, like, be able to kind of show her an easier life because, obviously, like, I knew knew her life was full of, like, you know, like, sacrifice and struggle and stuff like that just to make sure that her family was okay. So uh, just generally, like, trying to do better in my life is kind of difficult knowing that, like... I can't share any of my advancements or successes with her. That's probably the hardest part. Even though she's not here, I that still didn't really change that part of me to like like want to do well and want to succeed and achieve whatever I want to achieve. Um, like even right now, I know that like she would be like really happy knowing like where me, you, and Mario all stand and everything in life and all that it made me really mature and just uh focused on like what i want to do as a career and like just really see the opportunities that i have compared to what they had what i want to tell mom is that uh like i would just say thank you for everything she did for us you know growing up and stuff for not having a lot you know it really helped like just for her doing whatever she could, just all the hard work she could do. 
And I also want to tell her that she doesn't, she won't have to worry about us. You know, like we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to do okay. And we're going to take care of dad and everything for her. And I want to tell her that, that I love her and we miss you all the time. ยิ้มหลายเถื่อมามันว่าวันนั้นหลวงพ่ออีพ่อก็บอกว่าเจ้า My dad says he dreams about my mom all the time. Sometimes they'll be talking or bickering. She's alive and doing nothing out of the ordinary, but it's not until he wakes up when he realizes it was a dream. He says he's always dreaming of her. That story was produced by Julia Runlesi with Allison Cook. It was edited by me, AC Rowe. We have photos of Julie with her family on our website, including this one of her mom, Van, in Thailand. It was taken in 1984, the same year she swam there in the middle of the night. That's all at cbc.ca/docproject. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Kent Hoffman, and me. Althea Manassen and Tahiat Mahboub are our digital producers. Our senior producer is Julia Poggle. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. And stay safe. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.